0: Tonight, straight from the source, the Biden Justice Department indicts a Biden, President's son, Hunter, in the first charges ever against a sitting president's child. And we are also counting down tonight when the clock strikes midnight, union workers could strike against the big three automakers. It could upend not just the car industry, but the entire U.S. economy. Plus, a load of F-bombs dropping on Capitol Hill today as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy swears and dares his right flank to oust him. It just might take him up on it. I'm Kaitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Another historic indictment. Not only is the Biden Justice Department prosecuting former President Donald Trump in two separate cases, it is now also prosecuting the sitting president's son, indicting Hunter Biden on three criminal charges all in connection with a gun that he purchased in 2018. The charges include two counts of lying on an ATF form to buy that gun and possessing a firearm as a drug user. He allegedly lied about his drug use to buy a revolver in Delaware as he was struggling with drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and in and out of rehab, which he wrote about openly in his book. Hunter Biden, his legal team, and really the whole White House had hoped that this would be in the rearview mirror by now, but his plea deal collapsed over the summer in stunning fashion And now tonight, his legal team is vowing to fight these new charges.
1: This charge brought today violates the agreement the government made with Hunter Biden. That was a standalone agreement different than this plea. Second, the constitutionality of these charges are very much in doubt. And third, if it got past those two, and we don't think it would, then if there were ever a trial on the facts, we don't think the facts are as your expert today thought them to be. There will be a defense. Hunter owned. An unloaded gun for 11 days, there will never have been a charge like this brought in the United States.
0: We'll see how those arguments end up and if it works out in court. But what all of this means is that we could be in a pretty remarkable place where Hunter Biden could be on trial as his father is running for re-election against the former president, who could also potentially be on trial or really maybe trials next year. To bring all of this into perspective, maybe, if they can do that, it's a tall order. Former federal prosecutor Jennifer Rogers and former deputy assistant to President Biden, Jamal Simmons, are here with me. Uh, Jennifer, can we just put in perspective how often, you know, you heard Abby Lowell there, how often is a case like this brought against someone who is a first-time offender?
2: Virtually never. I mean, I think that the the paperwork offense, the lying on the form, that's brought occasionally. I've never seen it, but I can see in an instance, particularly where you have a dangerous offender, uh, it could be brought if they have nothing else to bring or maybe in conjunction with other charges. But this uh, this person in possession of a firearm, an addict in possession of a firearm. We used to bring uh, cases all the time where you had a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. Those are pretty, pretty common. I have never seen this addict in uh, possession of a firearm charged anywhere.
0: Well, so they're saying he lied about it when he filled out that form. You're supposed to say that you were not on any controlled substances and whatnot. And he said that he wasn't and, and essentially wrote in his book that he was. But the law that is being used, what Abby Lowell was mentioning there, it's on shaky ground after a judge... I believe it was in New Orleans, was the latest to to strike down part of it. Is that going to be a chance that Abby Lowell and Hunter Biden's legal team could be successful in arguing that this law is actually not something you could prosecute this on?
2: Oh, for sure. I think he actually laid it out really well. He said, you know, you have a couple of legal challenges. One is the constitutional challenge after the Supreme Court's decision in Bruin, the term before last— all of these gun possession charges really are in question, these gun possession laws, because now what the court is saying is that it's just much harder to charge someone uh, with possessing a firearm uh, if it wasn't uh, in place at the time our founders you know, created the Constitution. So um, he's right on that. Uh, and you know the facts also, as he said, are a problem for them too.
0: Joel, I mean, obviously this is not something that a White House wants to see you used to work in this particular White House. I mean, when something like this happens, they thought it was going to be finished with a plea deal over the summer. That fell apart while they were actually in court. How does What's going on inside the White House right now tonight?
3: So I think in the best of all worlds, this would have been resolved in July when they had the plea agreement. Obviously, that's not what happened. The question now is whether or not, as Abby Lowell has has laid out, we're going to see this get resolved in court or through some sort of agreement going forward. You know, if you're in the White House, what you're thinking about is, what is the president doing every day? Because that's what the American people care about. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with the president of the United States. This is a private citizen who had an addiction issue. Like two-thirds of American families recognize they have someone in their family who has an addiction issue. This is a private American. So if you're at the White House, what you're thinking about is, let's keep the president focused on the business at hand. Bring together his cancer cabinet. Let's talk about Bidenomics versus the, you know, Maganomics is what the president was doing today, right? What's happening, how the Republicans want to cut things for the American people, cut important programs. So you're focused on the issues, not being focused on this private issue for the president's family.
0: But that's pretty difficult to do. I mean, given the fact that an impeachment inquiry has just been launched on Capitol Hill that's ostensibly related to Hunter Biden and now you saw Republicans responding to this today. I mean, how does this complicate his campaign if he is running? Well, he will be. Uh, he says he's running next year, obviously. If he is running, and this is something that's going to be brought up by Donald Trump or by ever which Republicans running against him.
3: Yeah, if you're Donald Trump, you want to bring it up all the time, right? Because you're like, look, look at them. They're they're in trouble too, right? But the, the magnitude of what we're talking about is just so completely different. Again, two-thirds of Americans have a family member or a close person who's been involved, who's got, who had an addiction issue. This is a president... Who um, he loves his son, he's made that very clear. And the two big pieces of evidence that they have is that Hunter, whose last name is Biden, told people his. His father was vice president when he was out pitching business. And, and secondly, that the president may have talked to some of those folks on the phone from time to time and said hello and talked to them about the weather. Those are the two big issues here. I just don't know those are the kind of things the American public would equate with a president fomenting an armed insurrection against the Capitol to keep himself in power.
0: Well, Republicans would disagree with you <laughs> on the former half of that and what they're looking for here. The other part of this, though, is that when you look at these charges, this is related to the gun that he, he bought there are also the tax charges, the misdemeanors that he was going to plead guilty to. They could still charge him with that here potentially. It's unclear if David Weiss, the special counsel, will. They also could potentially look at his foreign business dealings I mean this doesn't necessarily seem that this is the end of the road for Hunter Biden's legal issues.
2: So what happened here was that the statute of limitations was about to expire. So prosecutors, having failed to reach an agreement with him, had to either charge him or let this go. So that really was the precipitating factor here. It may be that they don't want to try this case, that they're still willing to negotiate some sort of solution. Uh, But I do think that they will charge him with the tax offenses if they can't reach some sort of agreement. I mean, he already had agreed to plead guilty to the misdemeanor. So I think those are definitely coming. The business stuff, I don't know. We really haven't seen evidence of that despite extensive investigation. But I think the tax ones are probably coming. And hopefully, to be fair to everyone, they can just wrap it all up in a similar deal to what didn't manage to happen a couple months ago.
0: The former president was asked to weigh in on this tonight. You were just talking about what what he's going to be saying about it on the campaign trail next year. This was his answer when he was asked about Hunter Biden's charges.
4: Well, I think there's no question about it. He had a plea deal that was The deal of the century, uh, the art of the deal. You could write a book on it, the art of the deal. Uh, And all of a sudden that was broken up by a judge who was able to, a brilliant judge actually, who was able to see through what was happening.
0: What do you make of that response?
3: You know, um, the very fact these charges are brought against Hunter Biden undercuts a a pretty big point the Republicans have been trying to make and former presidents have been trying to make. There's a 2 tiered justice system. What we have, we strip away all the, all the wrapping here, is Donald Trump's Justice Department did not file any charges against Joe Biden or his family. The Biden Justice Department did file charges against uh, Joe Biden's family. So <laughs> the idea that there's a 2 tier justice system is just thrown out on its face when you see the Biden Justice Department going after the president's son.
0: But part of that soundbite that, that was missing from that was where Trump says no one should be happy about this. I mean, how do you think Republicans are handling that?
3: Well, it's the right thing to say, because no one should be happy well, about it.
0: But people, James Comer, are saying this is just a small start. Unless they invite, investigate everyone involved, it will be clear that they're protecting. I mean, they're, like, pushing back completely on what you're arguing, that this is not, this is proof it's not a two-tier justice system. Yeah, of
3: course they're going to say that, because what else do they have to say? But remember, they are the same people who went after Hillary Clinton on, um, on these issues, on, on scandals, quote-unquote scandals, when she was the Secretary of State, because they wanted to have a political issue in the campaign. The president, the former president himself, Donald Trump, is making the case that it may have been retribution, I think he said in, in one of these earlier interviews, right? If they hadn't come after me, then maybe they wouldn't be going after, you know, his son. This is, this is not about the politics of this. This, in a sense, this is about Donald Trump fomenting an armed insurrection against the capital of the United States to keep himself in power.
0: You're saying it's separate. It's very different. What's next year?
2: Quickly, before we go. Um, Well, I hope they can negotiate something. I mean, they charged because they had to. I hope they can work something out. If they can't, I mean, Abby Lowell laid out. They've got a lot of good defenses to this, so it's going to be a real fight. And it's got no jury appeal. I really don't see a jury convicting if they get to that stage, but we'll
0: see. (laughs) Jennifer Rogers, Jamal Simmons, thank you both for joining. Ahead, a risky bet on Capitol Hill as Speaker McCarthy is staring down a right-wing revolt. He is now daring his critics try to oust him and dropping a few F-bombs along the way. Actually, several of them. And a major strike could be several hours away, one that could impact much of the nation. So far, still no deal between the United Auto Workers and the big three automakers. What could happen if the clock strikes midnight with no deal in
5: sight? Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: We are less than three hours away right now from a huge and historic strike potentially that could rattle the US economy. Thousands of auto workers may be walking out on the so-called big three automakers if their contract expires at midnight. That's General Ford Motor General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis, which is the new company that includes Chrysler. There has never been a simultaneous strike against the Big Three in U.S. history. The stakes are so high that President Biden himself has been working the phones today, speaking to both the automakers and the United Auto Workers Union. A strike like this just wouldn't impact the auto industry. It could have an effect on everyone who drives a car. One report estimates that a 10-day strike would cost the U.S. economy more than $5 billion. $2 billion in those losses would be the result of drivers who can't get their cars repaired because dealers won't have the parts. The UAW is sticking to its demands tonight, including a 40% pay hike over four years, cost of living increases, and health care coverage for retired workers along with pension plans. But the big three are far from meeting those demands And what they have counterproposed, instead offering pay increases at a max of 20% at GM and Ford, with Stellantis a little bit lower than that. This unprecedented moment is one that the UAW president, Sean Fain, has been predicting for weeks now.
6: This trash can is overflowing with the bull**** that the big three continue to peddle. September 14th is a deadline Not a reference point. I got a question for all of you. Are you ready to rumble?
0: Joining me now, someone who is watching this closely, Michigan Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, whose father worked for Ford Motor Company and was a UAW member. And I should note, you can see it on your shirt right there, Congresswoman. As you're watching this all closely tonight, do you believe that a deal can be reached by midnight?
7: You know, I'm not sure. You know, everyone hopes that, Uh, even the workers. Uh, Folks are, you know, anxious about this, but they know what's at stake. Uh, You know, so many of our UAW neighbors throughout my district constantly tell me how they're struggling, that they're living check by check. Uh, They should be able to take care of their families like my dad did. And so, you know, they know what's at stake, and they're willing to use one of the most powerful tools we have in our country to fight against corporate greed, which is the right to strike.
0: Do you think a, a strike is inevitable?
7: I mean I don't know we're going to find out today I think President Fain is going to address you know live on Facebook he's being as transparent as possible but know this the big 3 waited 5 weeks I mean they had the proposal from the UAW 5 weeks with no response that's why they had to file uh, you know a labor violation because they were just you know again moving so incredibly slow and not being responsive so I'm not surprised that we're close to midnight On the day of the deadline that the contract expires and that folks are talking about striking, uh, it it shouldn't be a surprise uh, to Jim Farley and every single other CEO that all of a sudden they're trying to hustle and figure out what to do. They knew, again, uh, what the demands of the UAW uh, was, and sure, we got some progress, but they didn't move fast enough.
0: I'm glad you brought up uh, Jim Farley. He's the CEO of Ford. The UAW wants, as we noted their demands, a forty percent wage increase over four four years. Jim Farley says that those demands would put Ford out of business
7: was was the quote that he used. What do you say to him in that response? You know, uh, Jimmy, uh, twenty billion dollars in uh, I think it's I think he got like a forty percent increase in his CEO salary. Maybe that's what's gonna lead to uh, you know, bankruptcy for uh, his company that he works for. Maybe he should take a pay cut like many of the UAW workers that helped Ford stay afloat in 2009. They took a hit. They sacrificed and got rid of Cola. We have the majority, the majority of the UAW workers in our country doesn't even have a pension. For me, If anything, they should have paid more attention, should have invested more into the workforce. That is the reason that they're making record profits. That is not by coincidence. And so why doesn't he focus on his greed and the fact that he's making so much money on the backs of the workers? I mean, 300 times more pay for himself, maybe he should focus on maybe cut there so he can give it back to the workers.
0: And you're back home tonight. You were just in Washington this week. Obviously, this has political ramifications as well. You know, President Biden always says he's the most pro-Labor Union president ever in office. Donald Trump right now is trying to win the UAW's endorsement. What is at stake for your party and how these negotiations turn out?
7: I mean, look, this is about the working class. I know for myself, you know, my dad only had fourth grade education, came to the United States at 19 years old, and was able to get on that line at Ford Mortar Company in Downriver, Michigan. And uh, he was able to build up a family, uh, be part of the middle class, buy a home, uh, buy the same vehicle that he helped build. Uh, you know, this is this is what we got to get back to. You know, when UAW workers are holding signs saying about saving the American dream, we should be laser focused on that because that's what's at stake here. Folks need to understand that majority of UAW workers that are living check by check—they have these tiers now, where somebody doing the same exact job for you know over close to even ten years in some cases are making completely different uh, uh, wages. That to me is just uncalled for. Having workers against workers—I mean. It is corporate greed at at its core, and we got to stop it. I mean, they're price gouging cars. I mean, 30 percent increase in the cost of cars, and they're only really spending about 10 percent just alone on workers. So it's not the workers that are help you know that are leading to the to the cause of so called increase in cars. It's their greed. They did shareholder payouts just fine. Why can't they treat the workers with the same respect that the workers had for them in 2009? That sacrifice, they're living now over 10 years, it's 2023. Every single UAW contract, Caitlin, and since 1948 had COLA until 2009, cost of living adjustment. And you're telling me we're in 2023 and they got to beg for the cost of living adjustment to get back in contracts when you're making record profits? That's what we got to be laser focused on is building up the, the communities and again, the workers who are literally living check by check. They should not be struggling this much.
0: Yeah, it has been a summer of strikes. I mean, it's just been a moment for for organized labor overall. Obviously, we're watching the clock closely here to to see what does happen. Midnight, I know you're watching it. You'll be there as well. Uh, On the news of what happened today, we saw President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, was indicted on, on gun charges today. What did you make of those charges?
7: I mean, I, I got to be honest with you all. You know, again, this is the son of the president, and you know, I knew folks were going to oh ask me about it. But my residents are not asking me about Hunter. They're asking me whether or not the Social Security office is going to be open on you know October first. They're really worried about the government shutdown. I was at the VA hospital, Dingle VA hospital, with Congresswoman Dingle uh, the other uh, week, and literally workers were saying, "Hey, are we going to have a government shutdown?" That's what folks are asking us about. Of course, we want everybody to be held accountable. Absolutely. But the American people are laser focused on not only what's going on with the UAW today, but also about the fact that we haven't passed a federal budget, and they're really scared. They're scared that they're not going to be able to get verification processes for their Social Security, or that you know they're not going to be able to get maybe a passport or whatever. These these are essential again services for our federal work, uh, federal um, through federal departments. And our federal workers, employees, they saw what happened the last federal shutdown. Many of them didn't, contractors, especially independent folks, weren't even being able to actually recoup uh, the loss in wages. Yeah. And so that's what folks are asking me about, Caitlin, honestly. that well, that's la- They're so laser focused on the fact that they're like, am I going to lose my health coverage? Am I going to lose my... What's this going to happen, Rashida, if we get a government shutdown on October 1st? And
0: part of why there may be a government shutdown is th- this division in the Republican party in the House, that they can't pass spending bills. And part of the reason that Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, opened this impeachment inquiry was demands from far-right members. It didn't seem to really appease them. But clearly, the impeachment inquiry is here. Do you believe that President Biden's impeachment is inevitable based on what Republicans are saying?
7: I mean, they're going to do what they're, they've been talking about it since they got into the majority, Caitlin. I mean, literally from day one, uh, they didn't want to talk about different things going on with the U.S. Census and the House oversight, or the fact that big pharma is literally price gouging our families. They didn't want to have, you know, oversight hearings on that. They wanted to be laser focused on basically, you know, revenge, uh, going after someone they don't even think actually won the election. I mean, it's it's a complete obsession and complete chaos. They can't even get the ag budget out. Ag Budget has always been bipartisan. We've been able to support our rural and urban farmers. And, you know, they got food assistance in there or the WIC program, all of those things. We usually are able to get those out. But there's so much chaos on the Republican side. They can't come together on it. So they haven't even engaged the Democratic caucus on ag budget. So I can't imagine, uh, you know, the fact that because they're so laser focused on that, that they're even going to be able to come together on these budgets. I'm really I'm incredibly fearful and, you know, the anxiety among our family, especially my most vulnerable, the seniors, uh, some of the federal workers, others that, again, are, you know, at the beck and call of, you know, the Republican leadership in the House. And I'm not saying this, But do you think the government's going to
0: shut down? It sounds like you do.
7: I mean, I'm really worried we can't get any budgets out. Uh, You know, by this time, we would have at least had a handful. Again, Caitlin, we've had a handful of budgets in the past that we've been able to come together in a bipartisan way. And ag was one of them, you know, legislative uh, uh, departments and all of those. We've been able to actually work together on those. And again, I'm, you know, this is my sixth year, going on my sixth year serving. And I've never seen this. I've never seen them being able to, they're not able to actually get it out of the rules committee. There's more of them taking bills off the docket than actually getting them through the House.
0: It's quite, I mean, the same with the Department of Defense bill. It's quite remarkable. Even Republicans yeah. are expressing that. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, obviously, we'll stay in touch with you as you watch what is happening tonight with the auto workers very closely. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you. And speaking of what is happening on Capitol Hill, there's often a lot of insults heard in the hallways. But today, a lot of F-bombs within the Republican Party, including from the Speaker of the House himself. It's like a swear-off, essentially. We'll tell you what he said next. The Speaker of the House is staring down a right wing revolt tonight, one that has devolved into an F-bomb laden back and forth over a spending showdown and threats to remove him from his job. Kevin McCarthy, who dared his members behind closed doors today to, quote, bring the effing motion to oust him, didn't quite use that language in front of cameras. But he did have this to say.
1: I don't walk away from a battle. I knew changing Washington would not be easy. I knew people would fight or try to hold leverage for other things. And you know what? If it takes a fight, I'll have a fight.
0: Might, have, might be a fight. One of the faces of his opposition, Florida Congressman Matt Gaetz, called McCarthy, quote, sad and pathetic and added this.
6: I'm concerned for the speaker that he seems to be a little rattled and unhinged.
0: For perspective on how Republican infighting looks to Republicans outside of Washington, I am joined tonight by New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. Governor, without using any curse words, uh, what is your assessment of what's going on with your party tonight in Washington?
6: <laughs> did I'm sorry. Did Matt Gates just call somebody else unhinged? Is that where we've come?
0: That
7: is where we um, are.
6: Look, it's. It, I, I get, look, I guess it's football season. You know, everyone's going to be throwing some F bombs back and forth. There's a lot of drama there. My frustration with the rest of America is uh, to Washington, just start getting something done. Start moving the ball forward. I get that when there's drama and there's conflict, everyone will send out fundraising emails tonight and they'll all be raising millions of dollars off of it. But none of that actually matters. All that matters is that they actually get something done. You'll get politically rewarded, by the way, if you move the ball forward, uh, actually start talking about balancing budgets and and, and getting some of these appropriations done the the, the right way. So uh, it's just uh, America is tuned out. Like you and I are in it. Like we talk about this stuff. We're in this world. But most of Americans right now have kind of chalked Washington up to be a bunch of white noise. They're not even paying attention. But some real serious stuff is happening there. Don't get me wrong. But most of America has now just tuned it out because they've lost trust. In the, whole, in the whole process. There's a lack of transparency. Everything is overly politicized. Um, that's why I love being a governor. I'm not gonna lie to you, 50 governors, Republican or Democrat, our job is to just to get stuff done and we do at a localized level. I, th- I think there's a lot of success there. So I don't know, I just think Washington needs to take a page out of, out of our playbook. I think they need to kind of listen to the American people uh, for once and say, look, what do we do to actually uh, come together and, and move it? And you'll have a lot of folks, if you reject the extremes on both sides, reject the extremes. There's a huge path for folks on the left and the right to actually come together and, and do it. But that takes leadership.
0: Well, America may start paying attention if there is a government shutdown that would obviously affect their day-to-day lives. I mean, your party is staring right. down a deadline to fund the government it's in 16 days. They can't even get the easy spending bills passed like the ones related to the military. But they are pursuing an impeachment inquiry. Republicans are into President Biden. I mean, do you, do you think they have their priorities straight?
6: Well, look, No, yeah, uh, the, uh, the impeachment inquiry is very serious. I think Kevin McCarthy has actually done a pretty good job over the last 48 hours really explaining what is there, why they're going forward with it. Um, there's obviously going to be the imp- perception of politics driven by that. That's uh, understandable. But to your point, they still have to do actual things that keep the government open. Nobody should want a shutdown. A shutdown is really bad. It's a failure on everybody's part in Washington, uh, if, if that were to happen. Uh, as somebody who's in charge of making sure the government doesn't shut down in, in, in my state, uh, we go. that is really a, a, a last resort of failure, right? And, and that's all it is. It's just a failure. You get nothing accomplished by it. No one feels many more pressure or leverage. It's just a, a big fiasco. So uh, the hope is that you know they can continue down these parallel paths. They can focus the, the, on on both of these issues. Um, whether one is more of a priority, I'd say keeping the government open. That is clearly the biggest priority right now because it really gets to a, a very. Almost dangerous situation when you shut down the government in terms of everything from air traffic controllers to safety on the highways. Yeah. Um, all these things really come to a halt.
0: Well, I'm curious what you said about McCarthy and what he, how he's described this impeachment inquiry. Because you said earlier this summer that you thought impeachment was terrible for America. I mean, do you still feel that way, or have you changed yeah. your mind on that?
6: Oh, of course. Oh my gosh. No, impeachment is a horrible thing for this country. There, so there's you no think question they shouldn't be pursuing it. Now, this? if there's well, no, I guess we've got to find out. Right. I think what my biggest challenge with all this is we don't really know what's there yet. Right. And I, I guess I, I know they got to go through the process, but they've they got to be been crazy transparent eight because eight it, it is. Yeah. And look, and there's clearly a lot of implication that the former president was involved in things that, that he should should not have been involved in, whether it's the business dealings or or what he knew, the, whether he was lying about it or not. That all really does have to come to bear. But again, I think to your point, understand it is a horrible situation for America. It is divisive. Nothing good comes of it. The world kind of laughs at us when we do it. It means that we made a huge mistake as a, as a country. Uh, it brings even more polarization and divide as we go into the 24 election. It's really everything most Americans don't want to see. This is why no one wants Joe Biden on the ticket. This is why no one wants Donald Trump on the ticket. This is why they're hoping that there's still an opportunity. I think there is. I think it's a huge opportunity for 70% of America to get very happy when they see neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump. It's not easy to do. It doesn't mean it's gonna it's an absolute, but there's a very clear path there um to, to getting it done.
0: Yeah, I mean we've continued to ask the Republicans pursuing this for for that direct evidence. They have not been able to, to provide any yet. But I do want to ask you about something that Donald Trump said before we came on air tonight. He was asked about this idea that has been tossed around as he's facing all of these legal issues, about whether or not he would pardon himself if he were to be reelected. This is what he said.
4: I was told by some people that these are sick lunatics that I'm dealing with. Give yourself a pardon. Your life will be a lot easier. I said, I would never give myself a pardon.
0: Even if you were reelected?
4: in this moment well i think it's very unlikely what what did i do wrong i didn't do anything wrong you mean because i challenge an election they want to put me in jail
0: do you believe that if he was reelected and convicted that he wouldn't pardon himself
6: of course he'd pardon himself. That's the main reason he's running. I mean, that, that is not some sort of uh, Washington secret. Of course he would pardon himself. Um, I get that he's, he's trying to convince everyone that he didn't do anything wrong and all that. And, and who knows? I mean, we really don't know. We'll let the, let the courts and the judicial system figure all that out. But at the end of the day, <laughs> of course he's going to pardon himself. Any president would.
0: Governor Chris Nunu, congrats on making it through this interview with no F-bombs. Thank you for joining me tonight.
6: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Up next, a Georgia judge has ruled on the trials of Donald Trump and his 18 co-defendants. And who will have to be on trial next month?
5: The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The Gap Between What We Know and What We Don't About Psychedelic Therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.
0: Former President Donald Trump will not be on trial in Georgia in October, but two of his co-defendants will be, Kenneth Chesbrough and Sidney Powell. A judge today granted both of them the speedy trials that that they had asked for, But the judge did also rule that Trump and the other 16 co-defendants will be tried at a later TBD date. Now, tensions ran high inside the Fulton County courtroom today. Of course, there are cameras in there so we can see all of this as it plays out. And there was this moment as defense attorneys for Chesbro and Powell were battling over whether or not they could speak with grand jurors who had first handed down the indictment. This is what the prosecutor argued and also how Kenneth Chesbro's attorney responded.
5: But we'd ask that, it's not, that it does not happen because it is not authorized by law.
3: Miss Young's trying to send my client to prison, and we have the right to know if it was done properly. We can talk to grand jurors. <laughs> so the fact that she got up here <laughs> and lied, lied to the court. All right, Mr. Grumman, I think we should go down that road. Your, Your Honor, she lied to the court, and I apologize. And she defamed my. Mr. Grumma, I've counsel. said it's over. All right. Well, I wish you would have stopped her from right. defaming my
7: cook
0: fascinating to be able to watch all of it play out in court. In the end of what was happening in that room, the judge signaled that he would allow those defense attorneys to speak to the grand jurors, but saying at first they need to propose a list of questions they'd like to ask them. For perspective on these rulings today, joining me now is former Georgia prosecutor and criminal defense attorney, Sarah Flack. So good to see you now that we're both inside we in air conditioning. Last night I saw you were sitting outside uh, the Fulton County Jail. You know, the judge here is basically, though, denying what the district attorney, Fonnie Willis, wanted, which was to try everyone together. What do you make of the call that he made today?
5: Well, it's not completely unexpected. I mean, what D.A. Willis was wanting was basically to have everybody be tried in the next few weeks. A 19 co-defendant, biggest case she's ever tried. That office, maybe anyone ever in this country has tried wanting to do that in less than two months after an indictment. Um, I don't think that that was realistic for a host of reasons. Um, Most importantly, the defendants have a right and their attorneys have asserted those those allegations for those who did not want the speedy trial to be able to review these thousands and thousands of pages of discovery and evidence. And nobody can do that and really two months. Um, we're seeing that's going to happen with these two defendants. But when you allege you're saying you want this speedy trial, um, you're now giving up all these extra discovery rights that you have in the state of Georgia, um, because you're saying I'm ready to basically try this case tomorrow. Um, yeah. so I'm not totally surprised that, that the judge um, ultimately severed just these two.
0: And Donald Trump very much does not want a speedy trial, which his legal team made clear. But the judge today signaled that there could be more separations to come, that it may not be realistic to even try the other 17 together, saying additional divisions uh, may be required. Do you think that more cases will be broken up?
5: It's possible. I think as they start to comb through the discovery, I think the reason you'll see them if we do see extra or more severances will be if there are some confrontation clause issues. Let's say there are certain people who may have made statements, especially other co-defendants who have made statements um, at some point or two other people. Um, or about another co-defendant, those other co-defendants now have a right under the confrontation clause to be able to cross-examine those other statements made by a co-defendant. So those are some legalities that would, I think, require the judge under Georgia law and really United States Supreme Court law, um, federal law, to sever them. But other than that, I don't yeah. think that they will end up severing these cases.
0: And you just watched part of that moment with, I believe that was Scott Grubman, Kenneth Jesperow's attorney, and the other defense attorneys who were in there. I mean, tensions were obviously high between them and prosecutors. It's remarkable for us to be able to see it and to have all of this play out on camera. Is that typical during a preliminary hearing saying, you know, they're defaming my co-counsel Talking about the prosecutors in that way?
5: No, I think we are seeing the start of a show. Um, and they mentioned it on, on, on court today that there are cameras watching. All of that is irrelevant. Um, if you disagree with the prosecutor's argument, that that happens every day in court. We disagree. I'm a defense attorney. We disagree all the time. But to say somebody's lying, you may not agree with her statement or her argument, um, but it's a show. You know, it sounded like he was speaking more to the millions of people watching and trying to make a statement to potential jurors, because um, ultimately that's what this is about, is getting these jurors in um, and trying to you know, sway them to believe what they're wanting them to believe. But I think this is just the start of a very long show. So stay tuned.
0: Yeah, that is uh, safe to say, Sarah Flack. So we will be bringing you back to join us for the rest of that show. Thank you for Thank joining you. tonight, though.
5: Great to see you, Caitlin.
0: Great to see you as well. Ahead, we have an admission from Trump about that newly launched impeachment inquiry into President Biden. It might surprise you, might not. And what may be a surprise to no one, former President Trump says that the current impeachment inquiry into President Biden might be revenge for his own two impeachments.
4: I think had they not done it to me, and I'm very popular in the region. You know, they like me and I like them, the Republican Party. Uh, perhaps you wouldn't have it being done to them. And this is going to happen with indictments too, they have fake indictments. And I think you're going to see that uh, as time goes by. You're going to see uh, Republicans, when they're in power, doing it.
0: Join me now, Mo Lathey, the former communications director for the Democratic National Committee, and Jason Osborne, a campaign advisor to Donald Trump in 2016 Jason, I think people may hear what the former president said there, Democrats probably particularly, and say, yeah, that's exactly what's happening here.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I I, it actually, out of that whole interview, I appreciated that statement by Trump the most, quite frankly, because at least he's being honest about it. And I think more folks in the Republican side, and I've talked to a number of members over the last couple weeks, and, and they just want this problem to go away. They don't understand why there's this impetus to try and do an impeachment that's going to take up another six to eight months and it's never going to get solved.
0: Mo, does it seem pretty obvious to you, though, that given they've started this inquiry, that this is the road that this is headed down? Yeah, well, there's not
8: (laughs) there's not a lot of precedent for uh, for for Congress to begin an inquiry and not follow through. Uh, and so it seems like this is the path they're headed down. And and Donald Trump, you know, said the quiet part out loud. This is exactly what it appears to be that that the Republicans are being retaliatory. It's not a surprise. Many of the members of of the MAGA caucus in the House were saying this openly at the beginning of this congressional term. And I think there's some real political liability for Republicans on this, right? impeachment's supposed to be the last resort. And here they are without even having any evidence beginning this journey and for what is clearly now being admitted to be um, political retaliation.
0: Well, I want to ask about something else that the former president said when he was in this interview. He was asked about these concerns that we've heard not just from Republicans, but also some Democrats about President Biden's age. Of course, and it's worth noting, Trump is only three years younger than Biden, he's 77. But his answer does not sound like what most Republicans are saying. This is what he said.
4: No, not old, he's incompetent. He's not too old, he's incompetent. And uh, age is interesting because some people are very sharp and some people do lose it, but you lose it at 40 and 50 also. Uh, but, uh, no, he's not too old at all. He's, uh, grossly
0: incompetent. The grossly incompetent part, obviously it's not surprising. but what did you make of him going out of his way to say, no, Biden is not too old?
8: Well, look, as you said, you know, the former president is about the same age as the current president. And so if he were to be engaging in, uh, in some of these ageist attacks, uh, you know, he'd be sort of implicating himself. Um, but what he said there is exactly the playing ground the Biden campaign wants to be on. I would, I would suspect they want to be able to compare the record of the Biden administration to the record of the Trump administration. They want to make it a, uh, a contrast in competence, a contrast in chaos. You know, he was elected in 2020 in large part, uh, because people were reacting to the chaos of the Trump years, uh, this was exactly where the where the Democrats want to be, I suspect.
0: Jason, what would you make of that answer? Well, I,
1: I appreciated the answer, quite frankly. I mean, because I don't think it is necessarily an age thing. But what I'm frustrated by is, if we're talking about being honest out there, there is no question in my mind that President Biden does not have the faculties that he had three, four, five years ago. And let's just acknowledge that. That doesn't mean to say that he is not a strong leader, that he's not a strong president, that he can still make sound decisions. But let's not gloss over the issues that are coming up in some of these press conferences. I seem to recall during the Trump administration, there was hours of discussion uh, in the media about whether Trump was clinically insane or mentally uh, out, out there. And so I think we need to have that discussion and, and have somebody come up and say, look, I get it. you know. Senator McConnell has had some issues and people are starting to talk about those as well. But Senator or President Biden is having problems and we need to understand why. And is it affecting his ability to be president? I'm not sure that he, it is, but I'm not sure that it is.
0: Mo, President Biden, speaking of what he was him speaking, he was in Maryland today. He was touting his economic policy. What the White House is trying to do is make this argument about Bidenomics, what he has been talking about, and contrasting it with MAGAnomics, saying that he's basically done more for working families. This is what he told voters today.
4: Well, they have a very different vision for America.
3: Look, their plan, MAGAnomics, is more extreme than anything America's ever seen before.
0: He's basically saying that they're, they're undercutting working class Americans. Of course, this comes as we are watching what could happen in two hours from now, this strike and the auto workers. What do you make of that message and, and whether or not it's resonating with people?
8: Well, it's going to have to, right? And the only way it can is that the president and his allies are out there touting it. Look, they've got an economic argument to make about how they have started to get the economy back on track after, it, after COVID wreaked havoc on it. Uh, and they've got specific proof points they can make. But there's a an extra step here. And that is to say, we get not everybody is feeling it yet. So let's get these initiatives in action. And then here's what comes next. And always be looking to the future so that more people can buy it, get bought into this. The second part of it is, They've got an easy contrast to make with Republicans on this. While we are working here to get the economy back on track and make your lives a little bit easier, they're out there talking about book bans. They're out there talking about um, uh, what what can be taught in a classroom uh, and whether or not you know, the don't say gay stuff down in Florida. They're, they can talk about the culture wars, taking away a woman's right to choose. That is the Republican Party's priorities. Ours are very different.
0: Yeah, that skyrocketing child poverty, right, might be part of why people aren't feeling it. Moa Lathey, Jason Osborne, thank you both for joining tonight.
1: Thank you. Roll Tide.
0: Roll Tide as always, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Donald Trump had a moment during a new interview where he couldn't remember something that happened in his White House involving a key player in the administration. But maybe he is choosing to forget. One moment to draw your attention to today, as former President Trump was left guessing when he was asked by Megyn Kelly who might have awarded Dr. Anthony Fauci a presidential commendation. You actually gave him a presidential commendation before you left office. Wouldn't you like a do-over on that?
4: Uh, I don't know who gave him the commendation. I really don't know who gave him the commendation. The presidential I wouldn't commendation. have done it. One, one I know. Of somebody Miller, probably handed him a commendation.
0: Of course, the someone who handed Dr. Fauci and others who were involved in Operation Warp Speed vaccine efforts, that commendation was former President Trump himself. You can see it here. This happened on his last full day in office, January 19th, 2021. One of his 2024 campaign rivals is not buying that he doesn't remember who did so.
1: Was that the immaculate commendation that just happened to happen? It said Donald Trump awards Fauci this commendation. So I thought it was really pathetic to, to sit there and listen to that drivel. Um, it is it is totally false.
0: Immaculate commendation. That's one that just does not roll off the tongue. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Seen in primetime with Abby Phillips starts right now.
4: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast.